Yes, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio and lovely AM950 based out of the Twin Cities, America. Okay, welcome back. Hello. Um, welcome to one of the most unique radio shows on the planet. I, I actually had to write that down today because I just thought it would be kind of cool to say that. Maybe I'm going to start saying that more often. I don't know. But here I am. Okay. Um, talking to you about a show, about idealism, about people standing up to adversity and autocracy and, and, and trying to change the world and make the world a better sp- spirit better place fueled by the human spirit um, that is incapable of being bottled up. So this week's show has the big interview with an idealist who started an encore career where she finally can do the good the way that she wants to. In my C block coming up, I'm going to talk about being brave with my family and one, a family that's not unlike many in America right now with a divide between red and blue. But now, right here in the A Block, before I do anything else, I want to go back to last week's show. And you may recall that I highlighted our featured idealist was uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG, in that show. Um, since that show, I've been contacted and asked to give a keynote address about RBG. And I want you to have, have this in case you want to come because it's going to be open to the public. The event will be this Saturday coming up. That would be October 3rd from 3 to 5 at the Minnesota State Capitol. There are apparently going to be several hundred people there. Um, There's going to be a DJ, there's going to be music, there's going to be voter registration, there are going to be a number of speakers talking about RBG's cases. So there'll be, you know, lawyers and judges coming in and talking about a specific case that RBG was involved in that she was instrumental in. And then you'll get to hear from me about a keynote. And so uh, the event is being put on by One Minnesota, that wonderful organization, and by the Megan Curtis Law firm. Um, you can go on uh, the Facebook page for, I believe, One Minnesota, but I'm also going to put the link up for this event uh, on uh, the uh, on uh, LD 2.0 radio podcast page for AM 950. So, Please come. It'd be great. And if you're a listener, search me out and say hello. I love meeting our listeners. So this Saturday, 3 to 5 at the State Capitol, tribute to RBG. Okay. All right. Now, let's turn to today's um, featured idealist, who is um, an idealist turned martyr. Uh, Someone who died for his convictions and his stand against oppression and tyranny. The backstory... Um, is that I'm still doing a lot of isolating, which means that I'm plopped in front of a TV often on Saturday night. That happened to me just a couple of days ago where on HBO it had me watching um, the movie A Hidden Life. And it's a 2019 film about an Austrian conscientious objector who refused to swear an oath to Hitler during World War II. It is a beautiful, beautiful film. The imagery filmed in Austria and some other places in Europe is of mountains and forests. And stream. It is breathtaking um, cinematography. It is. And it's about, um, you know, the, the movie is about um, a man in uh, Austria um, in the late 1930s and early 1940s um, who, um, who starts a family. Um, and 
who eventually is is drafted by the Germans. Okay, uh, let me, before I get any further, I need to say that the movie is uh, produced by uh, Terence Malick, who has uh, created visually rich films such as um, Tree of Life and The Thin Red Line. The movie chronicles the life and death of Franz Jägerstatter, that is, a hidden life, an, Austra- an Austrian farmer, husband, and father to three young girls. This is one of those movies that begins with the words, you know, quote, based on true events, which usually means there's one or two iota of real fact um, of truth to the film. But A Hidden Life actually is very close to in portraying what actually happened to Franz uh, Jangerstadter. And so the story, Franz Jangerstadter was born in Radegod, I'm not even saying it uh, pronounced right, in northern Austria, small village. He was 10 years old when his birth father was killed in World War I, thus giving him a good idea of what it would mean for his daughters to grow up without him in their lives. Franz's mother later remarried, and eventually Franz inherited his stepfather's farm. As a younger man, Franz had a reputation as a wild fellow. That's according to um, the Wikipedia page about him. The movie suggests that he was quick with a punch and with a drink. However, he apparently changed when he married a woman, Franzeska, um, who was deeply religious Catholic, and their honeymoon even consisted of a pilgrimage to Rome. This changed Franz, um, and he became a religious. He became quite religious. In 1938, the Nazis moved into Austria and demanded loyalty to Germany. Franz was the only person in the village to vote against that. Um, he also rejected a, uh, an offer at the time to become the village mayor. Eventually, Franz was drafted, as I said earlier, and he went through basic training with the German army. However, when France fell in 1940, Franz, along with other farmers, was sent back home to grow crops for the war effort. Once home, Franz joined the Third Order of St. Francis and worked at the local parish um, in addition to his farming duties. This allowed him to defer being called up for the army four times, his religious uh, work as well as being a farmer. Throughout all of this, Franz was a devout anti-Nazi. He considered Hitler evil and the war immoral. Now think about that. We are living in a country right now where in some parts of our country, if you oppose the prevailing view, you are labeled as other. And that's exactly what Franz was labeled in his village. By early 1943, the war was not going well for Germany and Franz was again called up. At that point, he labeled himself as a conscientious objector Specifically, he refused to swear a loyalty oath to Hitler. And so in the movie, you see him having to go to the induction hall with the other recruits, the other draftees being recalled, and everyone was asked, was told to raise their hand and swear an oath to Hitler, and you will see that of all the people, Franz is the one who refused to do that. Um, he had indicated a willingness to work as a medical orderly as long as he could avoid the oath, but that was unacceptable to the German army. But because uh, Hitler predominated over everything, the oath was mandatory, and Franz's refusal to swear the oath meant that he would be imprisoned. 
within five months of his imprisonment, Franz um, Jagerstrader was tried for treason and undermining the military morale. And at that time, he was sentenced to death. And on August 9th, 1943, Franz uh, um was executed. And I am not pronouncing his last name very well, and I apologize for that. The movie has several scenes where priests and lawyers try to convince Franz to, to sign the oath. It's just a piece of paper, some of them reasoned with him. But Franz knows that, that the oath was way more than that. He knew that if he, if he said the oath or signed it, that he would be giving in to moral disint- disintegration. Somewhere in the movie, there's a, there's a scene um, when Franz is in, the, in prison where uh, Franzeska uh, visits uh, Franz in prison, and it's their last visit together. She is very strong in her faith about God protecting her family, and she reaffirms her support for Franz in his decision to not sign the loyalty oath. And she knew that it meant that he would die. There's also a second pivotal scene in the movie where um, the chief military judge asked to meet with Franz privately. The judge tries to convince Franz to sign the loyalty oath, but again, Franz says no. The judge then says, I'm, qu- I'm paraphrasing here, quote, you won't change a single thing in the world by your refusal. Even more, no one will ever hear of you or this act that you're engaged in. Unquote. Now, of course, there's a whole movie now being has been made about Franz, and 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 um, yeah, and I'm right, and I'm talking about him. So there you go. Um, when Franz leaves that conversation with the military judge, the camera remains on the military judge, on his facial expression, and on his body, and clearly you can see that he had been shaken by the strength of Franz's moral conviction. And that's really the point, of course, that the word world did hear about Franz's act of moral courage. The Catholic Church later beatified Franz as a martyr. A Hidden Life is a long film at nearly three hours, but the imagery of the scenery is rich and beautiful. But most of all, the message about standing up Standing up to oppression, standing up to tyrants, standing up and speaking the truth. That message is so incredibly important today, right now, in 2020. It's a perfect example of what it means to be an idealist. Someone giving his life to change the world. There you go. Go see it. Hidden Life. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, hopeless idealist, also trying to change the world and hoping that there never comes a time where I have to make that decision about life or not. We'll be back in a second. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. 
Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. And we're back on AM950. Ellie Krug here again um, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Okay, everyone. So do me a favor. When you get a chance, read up on, um, you know, read up on a Franz, Franz Jägerstatter. Um, and, uh, and if you get a chance, go see the movie. Uh, well, don't go see it. Go ring it up. On, uh, go ring up A Hidden Life. And um, you will, uh, you'll be thankful for that. Okay. All right. Well, we're on the big interview now, and I'm thankful for our guest. We have Leslie Wright from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Leslie, you're on the line with me, yes? I'm right here. Okay. Well, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio, Leslie. Um, and for our listeners, just have an idea about you. You are, uh, well, you are a graduate. You've got a lot of uh, Minnesota roots, even though you're down in Cedar Rapids. You're a graduate of Carleton College. Uh, where you got a degree in psychology, and then also St. Mary's University here in lovely Minnesota, Minneapolis, uh, where you have a Master's of Arts in Human Development. You are a very, very longtime um, team member with United Way down in Cedar Rapids, but now you have your own company, uh, Collective Clarity, where you are, uh, Collective Clarity LLC, I might add, where you are going out and you're helping organizations with how to deal with change. And how to create constructive change. Do I have that right? You do. Okay. Well, welcome to the show. Um, we should give the listeners a little bit more backstory because you and I are friends. We, and we know each other in part, well, largely because I was in Cedar Rapids uh, earlier this year, right before the pandemic um, <laughs> descended upon us. And uh, I, I trained in Cedar Rapids for um, a full day uh, with your assistance through the United Way. And uh, you were instrumental in getting me to come to Cedar Rapids. So I want to thank you for that. Well, you were our parting gift right before we all went indoors and shut the door. Yeah. So it was awesome. I know. Well, you know, and I tell the story that I was in Cedar Rapids. I think I spoke on March 12th, which was a Thursday. Friday morning, I had breakfast with my sister in Cedar Rapids and then got in the car. And between 9.30 and 1.30 on Friday the 13th, I had four different clients call me and cancel work because no longer would we be able to be in rooms with humans. So it's been a long journey since then, my friend. Okay. So, yeah. all right. Tell us, Leslie, all right, what 
tell us about um, uh, your company, okay? And mm-hmm. tell us about, you know, what uh, Collective Clarity is all about. And then I really want to talk about leadership, okay? And that's what you deal with. So go yeah. ahead. So Collective Clarity was a long time coming, um, as Clarity often is. And it grew out of my experiences in the world of work. And the struggles uh, to create positive change, lasting, meaningful change versus little iterations. And uh, it's a combination of a powerful belief in the best solutions happen when people come together in groups, the collective, and that we need to spend time getting clear about what is the problem that we think we're solving, who are we solving it for, and what's happening around us. And recently, particularly, the impact of story. Um, you can call it bias, um, but bias is, is bound up in these narratives we inherit and craft for ourselves. And so how do you help groups get, you know, I've used the phrase clear-eyed a lot, um, or individuals for that matter, get clear-eyed. And once you've accomplished that, action seems so much um, more possible. Um, And even complexity is more manageable. Well, and... And so this idea about uh, change, okay, and fomenting mm-hmm. change uh, dovetails, of course, into the work that I do and a lot of other idealists do. And, and you're an idealist. We'll get to that in a second. But, you know, right now where we are in America, right, we are at a crossroads of yeah. trying to deal with the old and trying to push forward to the new, you know, the old status yes. quo as it relates to skin color and, and classism and pushing forward to a a new America to a new place where things are easier, um, where things are, are better for people with black and brown skins, ind- indigenous people, compared to historically what's been going on. Um, and so, tell, you know, how, how do you get organizations? I mean, I, I'm seeing a lot of organizations that want to, you know, want to go forward, but they're, they're held back by things like culture within the organization by leaders that are afraid to use their imagination. So how do, how do, you, how do we do that? I know I'm asking you in, uh, we've got about two minutes left before we have to take a break. Um, and, but I'm asking you a very detailed question. Well, I think, you know, good change doesn't happen without relationship and reflection. And so we have to find ways to be in relationship with each other. And now it's challenging when we can't often be in the same room. But much as you do in your work, how do we help people see the connections? How do we help create spaces where people can examine the weight of the old stories, the push of the current stories and environment, but also that inexorable pull towards that possible future. 
and and do it in a way that respects difference, respects diversity, um, and in fact brings it into the process of creating a new way forward. Um, and I think part of it is helping people get equipped to live in a world where there isn't a one right answer the way we were taught in schools, and that change is who we are, change is our world. It is about creating forward, and we're not done creating yet, and that is a good thing, um, but it can be messy, and it can be dark at times. Um, well, yeah, I would think that a lot of people right now would be saying, uh, tending to the dark. And, uh, yeah. you know, of course, we have the election coming up and there's some real issues around that. You know, I, I want to pick up on this storytelling. OK, and I, I think that you and I use the phrases a little bit differently. Mm. Um, you know, um, in part, everybody wants to write each other's story just based mm. on very limited exposure. But I'm a huge believer in the idea that we are a system or a society of storytellers and story listeners. And when we come back from our break, Leslie, if, if you can, you know, if we can talk about the, the, the importance of hearing personal stories, okay, yeah. and, and accepting yeah. them. How's that sound? Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Okay. All right. All right. Great. We're going to have to take a break. I'm watching a clock here. So we've been speaking with Leslie Wright, who is the founder of Collective Clarity LLC based out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is around change. And when we come back, we're going to talk about storytelling and I'm going to really press Leslie about leading and leadership and the importance of that. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. I love listening. I love hearing from listeners. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out ReuseBFM.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. Hi, Alex. AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. And for those on Facebook Live who are watching, you see me doing my seat dancing, my signature seat dancing, always with the bumper music. Okay, before we took our break, uh, we were speaking with Leslie Wright, uh, the founder and curator of Collective Clarity LLC, a brand new organization, I might say, um, and... Uh, which is all about helping organizations foment change. Now, Leslie, before we took our break, we started, I at least raised the subject of storytelling, the importance of it. The importance, I, th I, I cannot stress enough 
the uh, how I feel about story. You know, you you've seen my work. You know, I tell stories mm-hmm. during the work, and I think that what our stories do is they pull people in. You know, we see our commonalities in other people's stories. We see everyone a lot of times with stories about people just simply attempting to survive the human condition, which of course is the most probably the most universal commonality of all humans. We're all trying to survive the human condition. How do you, you know, how do you, how does this stuff about stories come into play with your work and with organizational change? Well, the way it has come up recently is some learning I've been doing around something that sounds really academic, but causal layered analysis. So the layers of story. And there are at least four different layers. The Mm. stuff we say out in public, the stuff we write about, sort of the theory. And then you start to get into culture, and then you start to get into myth and metaphor. Mm. And the deeper you get, um, the stories are more and more unspoken, but no less powerful. And those are often the ones that I'm referring to. We've inherited them. They are the frameworks that we used to interpret our world and experience and and all those different kinds of story are important but they need to be attended to (laughs) and there are times when stories can and should be left behind but we need to make a conscious choice about that so I'm thinking from my work, I, I'm sorry, I just interrupted you. No, I'm thinking okay. from my work, the stories that maybe sometimes we hear from role models or parents mm-hmm. where they share stories about how they were wronged maybe by, you know, if it's a white color family by, you know, somebody who was black or, or the, you know, the stories that we hear about um, that are stereotypical in a variety of ways, you know, the welfare queen story or, you know, the woman mm-hmm. at the grocery store, you know, and she had, mm-hmm. it was, you know, she had her snap card, but you should have seen all the ice cream she was buying, you know, those kinds. Of, are you, Does that fall in the category of what you're talking about? That's some of it. Um, I, you know, they're, they're the stories that get embedded in our lives. I think about stories that sound a, kind of innocuous, but... Um, the expectation of college, ah. those things that get woven into the fabric of our families and our lives around us. Um, and we don't even know sometimes that these stories exist or they don't exist for someone else. Ah. Um, okay. That's kind of what I mean. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I just... Um, uh, you know, my goal, of course, is to have all of America sitting around talking with each other, mm. sharing about what it means to be you, okay? Mm-hmm. And tell us about, you know, your family or your children or what's important to you. <clears throat> and all of us having that kind of collective conversation. I think so many stereotypes, so many, so much othering would melt away if we could mm-hmm. all have that. Absolutely. Because when you become close to someone, just even in proximity with someone, and you see their eyes, and you hear the Hmm. truth in their story, how can you deny that? (laughs) And what happens in our world right now is, especially now, when the way we are, quote-unquote, with people is at a distance, at arm's length, or in the containers of social media, 
you know, we don't see eyes. Mm. We don't feel presence. Mm. We don't hear hurt. And we don't have to stay in a conversation if we don't want to. And that's where transformation happens. It's on the other side of the struggle that can happen in the conversations between us. And so, if we don't go into those spaces, we also aren't going to realize the joy on the other side. And I believe in that so strongly. So do I, and that's what that's what makes you an idealist, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to ask you about uh, you know the why why is it that we have leaders that don't lead? Mm. Because, I mean, if you're a leader, I, I was just having a training uh, county commissioners last week, and it was, it was, you know, commissioners, so they're all leaders. And I said, you know, you have to lead. Leaders have to lead. Mm-hmm. Why is it that we have leaders that don't lead? Oh, I think there's so many dimensions to the answer, but I'll start with my own experience of being a leader in a, in a smaller city and and one of the challenges is um, to be a good leader, I think you need to question yourself and you need to be humble. And that is really hard work. Um, you need to take chances. Leading means you're often out in front of an idea. You're in an open space, which means there's not really a lot of cover. Um You know, and there's that video of the crazy dancer at some concert somewhere where first there's just one dancer and then, you know, the whole dynamic changes as more people join them. So you're just a crazy lonely dancer um, until people say yes. And, And I think also right now, things, there are no easy answers. Many of us of a generation who have been leaders, experienced leadership, were raised up in a system that said being first was most important, being uh, the keeper of the right answer was most important, you know, and most of the solutions now require vulnerability and bringing lots of people into the conversation. And we haven't been equipped for that. And, and when you're living in a world where it's black or white, um, and I don't mean that in terms of skin color, I mean that in terms of there's a yes or a no. Right. Um, and there's nothing in between, just like you talk about gray area thinking. <laughs> yep. um, and I, I also believe that in this world right now, we are fearful. Um, we fall into scarcity thinking, and and we're trying to minimize risk. It makes it really hard to lead and to sustain yourself once you've stepped into that space. So right, um, but for us to change our society, we have to take risks. We cannot do absolutely. it. We can't do it sitting on the couch. Um, absolutely. So we've got uh, about three minutes left. I just want to. Uh, hit uh you're on an encore career this is for mm-hmm. you a new start mm-hmm. and give us a, about a minute tell us what how scary is it for you to start all <laughs> to start all over again um it takes my breath away in good ways and in bad ways 
right? It's exhilarating um, to be focused on what I believe is essential um, and have the freedom to do that. It is scary to step outside the traditional um, leadership framework and um, wonder, um, is there a place for my voice? Um, And where will the work come from? Right. But, you know, every day I receive signs and encouragement um, that the work is there, that it's good work, and that there are people who are seeking it. And that keeps me going. Well, and, you know, we we have in common encore uh, uh, careers, and, and I will just tell you, good work begets, you know, more work. And you are... Mm. You're dynamic. You are. I've seen you speak. You are dynamic. You are <clears throat> exceedingly smart, and you have great messaging, like what we've been doing with this show. So I have all the faith in the world in you. Now, uh, what, Leslie? Everyone gets this question. You knew it was coming. Mm. What made you an idealist? Mm. What happened to you along the way to cause you to be so idealistic? You know, even when I was younger, I there was a voice of possibility that rang in the back of my head. But probably the primary conversion was 2008, um, catastrophic flood here in Cedar Rapids. And I watched, um, I, I had the opportunity to form and lead a, a little group called Lynn Area Partners Active in Disaster, so nonprofits responding to human needs. And as we were forming, I, I just put out a call to everybody I knew could think of was connected to. And the next day when we opened our meeting to form this work, it was standing room only. <laughs> there were more than 100 people in the room. And at the time, we had no money, didn't know where it was going to come from. And over the course of two years, we created value of over $20 million. Um, We actually ended up with about $2 million in cash. But people like Home Depot stepped up and built uh, a process for us where they would give us discounts and fill orders for materials and So all of this creativity happened, (laughs) and we held on loosely. You know, we didn't have a lot of rules. We didn't have a lot of controls. We weren't even a formal organization. People worked together. People took risks together. People cried together. Um, We ached, um, and we celebrated. And... It was transformative, and we served hundreds and thousands of people, and many have looked to that group in that time as an example of what collective effort can accomplish at its best. Well, you know, I was there at the flood, and um, yeah. 
Well, Leslie, um, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I just want to tell you, um, thank you. Thanks for your voice, okay? And it was very clear to me when we were working together in Cedar Rapids that you are truly an idealist. So I wish you the best as you go forward. And you know I'm here for you if you ever need an, an ear or a shoulder. I just, mm. just go out and go do it, okay? Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for being on LE 2.0 Radio. All right, listeners, we've been speaking to uh, Leslie Wright, who is the creator and curator of um, the uh, Collective Clarity LLC based out of Cedar Rapids. Um, you can check her out on the website. Uh, Leslie, give us your website address real quick. Collective-clarity.com. Okay, great. All right, when we come back, listeners, we'll do my C-block where I'll talk a little bit about my work. Thanks. Bye-bye. The Better Futures Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM 950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Okay. Leslie Wright, I don't know about you, but she grabbed me when she started talking about what happened with the flood in Cedar Rapids in 2008 and 100 people standing room only showing up. I was there. I mean, my business was flooded out. My law firm was flooded out in that great flood of 2008. Check out Leslie Wright. Go check out her website, Collective Clarity hyphen. Uh, LLC.com Google Leslie Wright it'll come up and uh, check out her work and and by all means if you want somebody to come in and talk about organizational change highly recommend her okay we're at my C block where I talk about my work as an idealist as a practical idealist not as a head in the clouds kind of person but you know I'm realistic I am I also um (laughs) Yeah, I am, and I'm trying to make the world a better place. Now, if you get my newsletter, The Ripple, which goes out monthly to 9,000-plus people, if you got this month's issue, September, you saw in that issue that I departed from my usual stance of not injecting politics in a newsletter. You know, I am a unifier, not a divider, even on this show, even on what day, uh, week in and week out on LE 2.0 radio, I am not railing. I am trying to inspire and lift people up rather than to beat them down. But this month in September, um, in the ripple, I departed from that. 
And I spoke about um, how the Trump administration had targeted my community. I am transgender, proud of it, but the Trump administration has repeatedly targeted my community in so many different ways. And I, in the newsletter, I talk about how much worse I believe that it will get for transgender humans and many humans who are considered other if Trump is reelected. So in the newsletter, I essentially said that if you care about Ellie Krug and other transgender people, you're going to be voting for Biden. And I'll tell you, I, you know, I, I had made it very personal in the newsletter. And in the newsletter, I even say, I know that this is probably going to cause a lot of people to delist from my, the, the mailing list for the newsletter. I mean, every month, some number of people delist. I mean, it's just the way it goes with newsletters. But I, you know, I said... I, I'm anticipating it'll be a whole lot more people than usual. Well, the le- newsletter went out. Um, I thought I'd lose a couple hundred newsletter recipients, but you know what? <laughs> the number of delisters was only about 30, which is really actually lower than the number of people that delist um, generally, slightly lower uh, every month, just for ordinary reasons about decluttering their email box or don't have time to read it. So you know, and and I can always I can see the reasons why people delist, and I didn't have a single one say I'm delisting because um, I don't agree with your politics. So there you go. But then I went further. Okay, so I have in the past talked about my aunt and uncle, um, who are in their mid seventies, whom I love dearly. These people are the ones on this earth right now who have known me longer than any other human. Okay. Any other longer than any other human on this earth, they have known me, all right? And they love me. And when I transitioned genders 11 years ago, my aunt, my uncle, who, as again, are in their mid-70s, um, they were in their mid-60s when I transitioned. Um, when I transitioned, they fully accepted me. They did. And they, they were and continue to be great by using my new name, Ellen, um, Ellie to my friends, um, and correct pronouns. But it turns out that my aunt and uncle are huge uh, Trump supporters. They are. And, um, and in our family, which I am assuming, like many uh, families of listeners right now, politics became something that we could not talk about. Totally off the table. Can't raise it. Can't talk about it. Can't talk about Trump. Can't talk about what he's doing. Can't talk about Biden, you know. We just don't talk about it. We ignore it. So, you know, we're talking about the weather or their health, <laughs> their health conditions. Um, but I made the calculated decision that not only should I push my newsletter readers, okay, but that I also needed to push my aunt, my uncle, and their daughter and husband, um, who also voted for Trump. So I drafted a four-page letter where I... Um, laid out in bullet point fashion each and every act against transgender people undertaken by the Trump administration since early 2017, undertaken by the Trump administration against transgender people. I shared in the letter about how Trump's actions have so hurt me and my community. And then in the letter, I asked them to consider voting for the other guy. That's the phrase I used. And then I put parentheses, Joe Biden. Um, it is a loving letter that I sent to them, okay, because I thank them for loving me. But it, the letter also to them certainly lays out in a clear line 
of reasoning, of what it means to love and support me. And, and that's really the point here, because it's really pretty impossible to support Donald Trump and at the same time to say that you respect me, Ellie Krug, and that you care about my emotional or even my physical safety, because those two things do not, they don't correspond. They don't. Donald Trump and his administration are actively working to erase transgender people from society. They are. And if he is reelected, um, it will get even worse than what it is right now. I mean, according to Donald Trump's world, every doctor in America has the right to refuse, or hospital, or therapist, the right to refuse to treat me. Okay? That, in Donald Trump's world... That's the way it should be. Right now, we've got a federal judge blocking that. But if that judge loses, um, it, it's entirely possible. I have a car accident in some rural place to the only hospital within 50 miles. And if the ER doctor says, I don't like transgender people, um, uh, I'm not going to treat her, I'd have no recourse other than uh, I think I would die. I mean, I could be left to die. I mean, that is Donald Trump's world. So if you support him, you are not supporting me. Um, the letter went out uh, yesterday. Um, we'll see what uh, they will get the letter later this week. They live in another part of the country and we'll see what happens. But that's me, the idealist and importantly, the vulnerable human in me who said, I need to do this with the letter. So stay tuned. I'll let you know what happens. Okay, that's it for the show. I've got to go. Um, a big thanks to um, our sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. Need to thank my producer, as always, producer extraordinaire, that would be Brett Johnson. And to you, my listeners, thanks for tuning in every week. I hope you're enjoying the show. Hope you're enjoying the new time, time frame. Reach out to me at elliekrug.com uh, uh, or, or you can email me at elliejkrug at gmail. Follow me on Twitter at elliekrug. I love hearing from my listeners. Tell others about the show. We're trying to expand it as much as possible. And to all of you, go out and make a difference in the world today. Go and, go and make a difference this week. Make it better. Bye-bye. <laughs>